Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the art of music. And we're here with a brand new season. This series is all about the crossroads where music and visual art meet on the Weirder Together podcast network. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, a diehard music fan and an illustrator for bands. I've been creating album covers and designing posters for bands like King Crimson, Ben Folds, and many more. In each of our episodes, I speak with bands and musicians with their visual art counterparts together about the art of music and creative collaboration. We're talking album artwork, posters, stage shows, and collaborations for music videos, TV and film, and so much more. In this episode, we have a first for Making Ways podcast. We're talking all about the art of music for film with composer, songwriter, and singer Craig Wedrin of the band Shudder to Think and director, writer, actor David Wayne of The State, Stella, and Wet Hot American Summer. Music and film collaborations have always been so captivating to me. Some of my favorite film scores come from musicians in bands that I love and admire. I think about the moods and textures created for There Will Be Blood by Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, Bjork's work for Dancer in the Dark, and of course, Trent Reznor's expansive scoring work, including The Social Network. And that's why I'm so excited to be honing in on the art of music in this episode. David and Craig met when they were little kids at summer camp. They've literally been friends their entire lives. Later, they were roommates at NYU, and they've been working together for decades. Now they both live in L.A. with their families, having transplanted after many, many years in New York City. To say I'm a huge fan of these two would be an understatement. Craig for his music and David for his comedy, film, and TV work. I first heard of Craig's band Shudder to Think on MTV's 120 Minutes, and I even got to see them opening up for the Foo Fighters on the Foo Fighters' very first tour at a tiny club in New York City called The Academy. It's closed down now, but it existed back then in the 90s. I followed Craig's career over the years from the genre-bending Shudder to Think to his electro-pop band Baby to his solo records like Adult Desire, Wand, and Lapland. They are all incredible. I can't recommend more diving into Craig's catalog of music. And he's evolved from a musician and band leader and songwriter to a composer for TV and film. In fact, he's worked with David Wayne on all of David's projects, going all the way back to the state days on MTV, Reno 911, and films like Role Models, Wanderlust, A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, and the project that we'll really dive into on today's episode, Wet Hot American Summer, the original classic cult movie, and the prequel and sequel series on Netflix more recently. For me, simply put, David Wayne is one of my comedy heroes. He's the director and co-writer of Wet Hot American Summer, and those Netflix series I mentioned, First Day of Camp and 10 Years Later, Role Models, Wanderlust, they came together. David co-created, directed, and co-starred in The State, that sketch comedy group on MTV I grew up watching, quoting, and generally worshiping, Stella with Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter, and then of course there's Children's Hospital and Medical Police more recently, both of which are hysterical. And as I mentioned earlier, Craig, in whole or in part, has been scoring all of David's work over all these years. Craig's music, both as a solo artist and a musician that is scoring for TV and film, has expanded and grown so much over the years. He recently worked with Anna Warrenker of the band That Dog on the score to the acclaimed Showtime series Yellow Jackets. In this conversation, we talk about David and Craig's lifelong friendship, 
the creative kindlings of their early days at NYU, working together on the state, and of course, the world of Wet Hot American Summer. The soundtrack, the songs, the scenes that you cannot get out of your head. We also discuss Craig's songwriting process, David's approach to screenwriting, recent projects the two have been working on, and we dive into that score for Yellow Jackets too. If you're a fan of music for film, if you're a fan of David Wayne, of The State, of Wet Hot American Summer, if you're a fan of Shudder to Think, this episode is for you. And if you don't know David or Craig, stick around, tune in. You are going to be a giant fan of both of theirs by the end of this episode. I'm so excited to have these two on the show. Shout out to Ben Lee for introducing us. I hope you all enjoy the conversation with musician, composer, and singer Craig Wedrin of Shudder to Think and director, writer, and actor David Wayne. Let's get started. Craig and David, welcome to Making Ways, The Art of Music. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So, listen, I know you two have known each other mostly your entire lives. I think it's around age four that your cubbies were next to each other because of the Wedrin Wayne W connection at Jewish camp. You know, it's a long time to have a friendship and then to have it blossom into a creative partnership. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about those kind of early years of being kids together, the things that bonded you. And then, you know, up to today, how it impacts your working style. I know you have a shorthand together, but talk to me about you two as kids and then what it's like to work together having had this shared language for decades and decades. Well, certainly, I don't think either of us could overstate the impact that being in Cleveland in the 70s and 80s had on our sensibility, on there just not being that much to do, and so kind of being left to our own devices. Not like iOS devices. Correct. (laughs) Pre-screened devices. Pre-screened devices, analog being like literally David's basement. (laughs) I do think that it was just a lot of that downtime of having to imagine and make jokes together and just hang out and laugh and just growing up together with us and our other friends, you say a shorthand, it really is just like a lifelong bonding of our whole experience. And we went to summer camp together. We went to school together. We did family-related activities together. And we liked the same music. And part of that, I think, was just being friends, how you know, you and your posse wind up listening to the same things and debating it. We were all very opinionated And it all seeped in, but it does seem in retrospect, especially watching kids now and our kids now, who are friends and very good friends and weirdly, I think, would be friends even without us. But it's like, I look at kids now and part of it is certainly streaming and Spotify and the sort of digital age that everybody has access to the historical library of everything that's ever been recorded. So everybody has their little niche. We didn't have that, and so we all wound up listening to the same music at the same time. That said, it also so happens that we have similar tastes in music. Is that fair, do you think, David? Yeah, the story continues that we went to college together, and we learned from a lot of the same other new friends that we met in college, and we just happened to grow in many of the same directions and go into a lot of similar projects and end up, you know, just became so organically obvious to work together. 
Yeah. And music seems to be an underlying connection. I know, David, your dad worked in radio, and Craig, you grew up and got into music. David, I know you play instruments. I don't know if you did that as a kid, too, or? Well, a lot of it was that Craig was always trying to be in bands and doing that. And a lot of times the bands would rehearse in my basement because my parents were lenient and we had a basement. So people would leave equipment in my house and there was a drum set down there and there was guitars down there. And my mother was also a piano teacher. And so I just picked up and played around with instruments all the time, even though I never was a serious student of music. I think you're naturally a much more gifted musician than I am. <laughs> Thank you. You're very quick. Like you, you pick up piano stuff so fast, which I'm very clunky at. I really do love playing instruments and music so much. One of my favorite things about the entire filmmaking process is watching the music get made and working with people who do music that to me, even though the degree to which I understand how music is made only makes me appreciate even more the sort of wizard magic trick of someone who really has like this incredible talent to create or to play in a way that I never could. And it's just so uh, thrilling for me to see those people at work. I was just reading this Philip Glass quote, like something that came up on Instagram. And, he, and the quote was basically, he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and it made me feel so good. <laughs> made me feel better. David, let's talk a little bit about kind of the music and filmmaking process. When you are creating stories and, and working on scripts and starting to figure out what's next in a film or TV project, how early in that process are you starting to hear sounds or think about beats or think about movements that should drive emotions in the story? And at what point does that kind of handoff start to begin with Craig? Well, depending on what it is, I mean, the earlier, the better. And depending on what it is or what part of it it is, I might have sort of musical thoughts in mind or talk to Craig about them early on. And the more we've done, the more I've tried to make an effort to talk about it, the music earlier than later, you know, before shooting, while we're still conceiving something. The ultimate one, which we haven't done, is I've always wanted to, and we've talked about this forever, is to do a project that starts with the music. And that whatever the rest of it is, it evolves from there as the seed. Interestingly, though, usually it's ideal to start earlier on, to just start imagining music before there's the kind of limitations of a frame. But when we did the pilot for today's special, it was the opposite, where we prepped all this music and we're so excited about it. But then once you shot it, it was like, oh, all this needs to go out the window. This is not the music at all. It can really go either way. Sometimes having music beforehand can really inform a shoot and a director's vision. I just did this movie with Amy Redford called What Goes Around. And, you know, I wrote some suites of stuff to give to her to play with the actors and to listen to while she was shooting. And it really, really informed the final score and the final picture, which is usually what happens, except sometimes, as in the case of this pilot that we did, where, you know, you shoot it and then you look at it and you're like, oh, this is its own thing. And now we need to customize something for it. But well, we've had some fun things like there was a big fight scene in Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later where we got a bit of a score before we shot the scene and kind of 
choreographed the movements. Oh, yeah, of that's the, right. Of the fight to the music, or at least to the beat of it. Yeah, a lot of times we'll give, even if it's just a rhythm track, a beat, or sometimes even just a metronome so that you can shoot rhythmically and choreograph it a little bit. This is going to be a very unhelpful thing to say, but a beat in a song could just be as simple as like a just a boom, mm-hmm. a boom, yeah. yeah. like that's like one kind of a groove yeah. you could do. So, so you might hear that in a song, that kind of in a, in sound. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you might <laughs> okay. hear in a song. Okay, great. You might hear that that's in, really helpful in, in music. <laughs> <laughs> um, Craig, I love that quote. It was was it Philip Glass quote about not knowing what you're doing is that what you yeah i mean i can i I can find it if you want it was literally just on instagram well i I just love it because you know for both you david and and craig it seems like no one kind of in your worlds growing up necessarily were working in tv or film or this was kind of in the realm of possibility i mean i I feel like punk bands and, and bands you can kind of envision hey these are kids doing it i can do it but that idea of kind of just grabbing a camera david and starting to record and starting to make on your own I'm curious both, you know, Craig, for you, moving from punk and, and Sugar to Think into soundtrack work, and then David, for you, moving from, you know, DIY and sketch comedy into major motion pictures, how much of that kind of like not knowing approach do you bring into the work and how much of it does it kind of create insecurity and how much of it does it create kind of a greenfield to just do whatever you want? Well, I can say that I was very grateful for coming up the sort of DIY route because, yeah, when my early experiences were just dicking around with Craig and other friends in the basement with the VHS camera and just absolutely no guardrails on what it was supposed to be in any way. And going into college and doing the state, similarly, we were just sort of like, everyone was giving each other approval to just do anything. And it felt like to develop yourself that way. So lucky, yeah. Approval, but also that sort of gang security. The security of having the buffer of a gang or a crew of your friends goading each other on and sort of protecting ourselves and each other from the worst insecurity about it. It requires a lot of courage and bravery under any circumstances to sort of put your balls on the chopping block, as it were, like your voice out there, literally and figuratively. I'm going to compliment David again. He always had a very, very distinct, unique voice from a very, very young age, eight, nine years old. It was pretty much fully formed. So I actually think that your originality and fearlessness, cluelessness, probably more cluelessness when we were young, you were just sort of couldn't help but do this stuff, generate this stuff. It really kind of put a premium without it ever being stated and a sort of freedom and okayness to just be original. And then I think a lot of us tended to gravitate toward like originals, not like aesthetically, but just people who were also thinking and working originally, even if it was like absurd and embarrassing a lot of the time. I love that because I think you know, when we're kids, oftentimes what makes us weird can make us ashamed, can make us kind of want to hide. But if you can find your crew or your hive or your pack or like a a space to kind of cultivate that weirdness. I mean, Craig, I've heard you talk about 
getting kicked out of bands when you were younger, you know, for the way you were singing and, and things like this. And ultimately, you know, your voice along with your music playing and songwriting and the uniqueness of the music of Shudder, I think, is what made you successful. And David, same with Wet Hot American Summer. I know when it came out and, you know, was more or less ignored or disliked because of the strangeness of it ultimately is what drew people to it over those following years and attracted and kind of became the basis for your sensibilities, which now people love. I think both Craig and I were very lucky to both have each other and each of us groups of people that we really synced with early on who said, no, this is great. This is our voice too. And like, we want to do this kind of stuff. And without that, who knows, you know, it just, that's how you put out a movie like Wet Hot American Summer and, you know, it tanks and you're like, I don't care. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I'll also talk about like a sort of self-reinforcing tribe. I mean, that whole movie is like a kiln of people egging each other on. <laughs> and I think that's ultimately the long-term small following that movie has is because there's people, you know, all over that sort of get it and people bond over that idea like, oh, this is a kind of thing that I get off on and other people know this too. I want to read you the Philip Glass thing since that's what we're talking about. Here's what it was. I don't know what I'm doing. And if you don't know what to do, there's actually a chance of doing something new, which is what we're talking about. As long as you know what you're doing, nothing much of interest is going to happen. Very cool. Love that. I still feel that way. I feel that way and I feel the opposite. Like I feel when I'm trying to just do what you're supposed to do, it sucks. It's a bummer. And yeah, you can't help but like accrue levels of knowledge and craftsmanship over time. You can't fake being primitive, but you can always explore and like practice a kind of openness. And that's my challenge right now is like trying to like connect to the childlike curiosity and openness that I had but also be true to my, who I am, that I'm a, a guy who's done this for 30 years and I have collected a certain amount of skills and, and experience that I don't want to pretend isn't there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What is your songwriting process like, Craig, both for your own projects? I know Adult Desires was your last solo record for your own work and also for soundtrack work. And then David, you started to allude to it, but I'd love to hear about your screenwriting process and, and where it starts. The songwriting process for me or music making process sort of all blurs together because I don't distinguish radically between making songs and making score anymore. Like if I'm working on a cue for a TV show or for a movie and it feels really good, but for whatever reason doesn't work in the show, I'll turn it into a song and vice versa. Like there was a song that I wrote for our friend who was sort of the third in our kid Three Musketeers posse, Stuart Blumberg, who's a wonderful screenwriter. I wrote a song for one of his movies a bunch of years ago and it didn't get used in his movie, but I just knew, I remember it so well. It was one of those freebies 
where it just sort of like landed in my lap and 20 minutes later it was done and I was like, oh my God, this is great. It gives you fuel to kind of keep going. And I knew that it was great for something, even if it wasn't for this. And it wound up being like the basis for virtually the entire emotional score for this TV show, New Amsterdam, that I've been working on for the past five years. Everything darts in and out of everything else, and it feels very kind of unsiloed at this point. And then the songwriting process changes a lot. Like I feel like I'm in a new process now, which is way more automatic than it used to be in a good way. Automatic meaning thoughtless. And one of the ways that that's been happening is my sleep's been a little fucked the last six months or so. So I've just been letting myself wake up more and noodle. And I just record the noodles. Then maybe I'll polish them up later or maybe I'll forget about them, but I'll just put them in a folder. And then I have, you know, kind of some stardust to model. And then the other thing is for some reason, like a few weeks before Halloween, I was like, oh, I want to do like a cramps inspired like Halloween band. And my eyes are often much bigger than my stomach in terms of what can actually be achieved in the amount of time that I have. But a lot, if it's a good idea, it sort of finds its slot down the line. Because at the same time, I was trying to reset my circadian rhythms, which is like the sleep rhythms. And one of the things they say is that before you look at a screen in the morning, that you should be out in natural light for five minutes. So I've been just getting up and making a little matcha tea and going out on the porch with a guitar. And so it's like this sort of first milk, you know? I haven't been sitting there all day. I haven't been thinking about music. I've been listening to music. I've been in dreamy land and I'm half asleep. And maybe I'll put on like, because I was trying to do this Halloween thing. So I'm like, oh, I'll just put on a cramp song or something. And I'll listen to a cramp song and then just let my fingers make whatever. And it wound up sounding like this weird hybrid of sort of shudder to think and some spooky rockabilly music or something like that. And two weeks later, I had like 21 songs. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. It's like a whole new process. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's sort of shifted into just writing song songs. And when I say song songs, I mean more guitar based. I have like a phantom Shudder to Think limb where I'm always still writing Shudder to Think songs, even though there's no band for them. <laughs> David, talk to me a little bit about your process. You know, over the years, it's always a struggle. I feel like writing is the hardest thing and never changes in how it's challenging. But what I've done many times with Ken Marino, for example, is we will shut out our lives for seven days in a row and get together at 7 a.m. and work till 7 p.m. and force ourselves to write a full screenplay of some sort in that time. Even it will be a terrible first draft, but it's how you get started with something and then you've got something to read and write and rewrite. And I've worked very differently with different people. When I wrote scripts with Michael Showalter, we would just sit together at a computer and just like talk it through and improvise and brainstorm together. Other people, I've passed things back and forth or sometimes written on my own and just had somebody sitting on the couch to keep me focused. But just, you know, starting is often just like either with myself or with a partner just being like, what about something about this? And what if this happens? And would it be funny if this happens? Or what's this starting point? You know, and... I really liked when my muscles are at their peak, like when we were doing Children's Hospital and we had to, you know, pump out tons of episodes 
it was just became easier and easier to just be like, here's one just spark of an idea. Now I'm just going to sit down and make a whole episode out of that. Craig, I wanted to ask about the move that you made between being in Shutter Think and into soundtrack work. You know, like hindsight vision, it seems like obvious and a clear path. I mean, the last Shutter to Think records were soundtracks. And then you move into working with David, who you've known forever and, and working with friends. And now you're, you know, consistently producing for TV and film. Talk to me about that transition, that approach. If you ever envisioned yourself kind of going this direction. And now that you are creating music for yourself and for visuals, just how you kind of think back on your career and the evolution. It was pretty organic from when I was a teenager and got my first four-track cassette, you know, multi-track recorder. And even at David's, you know, he had like a two-track reel-to-reel when we were kids. There was always a kind of background of more experimental or ambient music happening. You know, we were in bands. We were kids. We were into punk. We were into songs. And so that was the natural thing to do. But by the time I got to college, I was studying performance art. And David and I went to NYU together. So there were sort of two crews. I had my experimental theater crew and then the state crew. And everybody needed music. I was in a band and like we had records. So when you're 19 or whatever, that's very impressive. Or if not very impressive, it's just sort of like, oh, Craig has a band. He has a record, you know, maybe he can do music for my student film, you know, or for this like dance piece in the experimental theater wing. So it was always percolating, even while Shudder to Think was becoming more and more of a professional focus. And then inside of Shudder to Think, we were all movie nerds. And growing up, I think music and movies were pretty much on equal footing in terms of obsessions. I mean, we were obsessed with movies and we were obsessed with music and comedy. So it all swirled together very naturally so that when Shudder to Think was starting to get tired of touring, tired of each other, and tired of the kind of limitations that come with being signed to a major label and, you know, having to do the hamster wheel of being in a band. A lot of our friends were making their first movies. Jesse Peretz, this was after college, who was a roommate of mine and had played bass in the Lemonheads. So we had known him a little bit from that. And David and The State was starting their show on MTV. And Shudder to Think kind of had some clout at the end of the 90s. And there was this whole New York indie film scene happening where there were all these new amazing directors, Jesse, Lisa Cholodenko, Todd Haynes, who were kind of just getting their start and they were all music nerds and they needed music. And, you know, we were able to sort of fool our way into the room. And, and again, like everybody was at something of an equal level in terms of experience where it was like everybody was young enough that we didn't know how to do it right and so it was a kind of sandbox that led to like a very, 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 very fortunate transition. For both of you, creative collaboration and kind of group projects and movements together from Shutter to Think to the state and Wet Hot and beyond. I mean, David, you've been you know working with so many of the same actors and writers over these decades. How would you describe a great creative collaboration? What are the qualities that you need? Is it all about the individuals? Is it about kind of 
alchemy that you can't quite describe? Is it luck? Is it respect? Like when you look at what you have with the people that you work with, what are the bonds there? I mean, I, I certainly think it's everything you just said. I mean, there, there's certainly no substitute for history and that shorthand, as you said, but then there's also a lot to be gained from unfamiliarity and you know being stretched by someone who isn't in your same exact mindset. But I think having a basis of mutual understanding that we both have the same idea of what we're trying to do and that we both respect each other's talents and skills enough to be able to say, you know, if I say I don't like this joke, the underlying understanding is, but I like you and I respect you. And this is not about that. It's about what's on the page, not what's in your heart, you know. And so that's a big part of it to me. And then just like basic logistical, practical things like, you know, being able to work in a way that's complementary process wise. And, you know, maybe the only thing I would add is a kind of openness and suspension of reflexive judgment and being like, I don't know. Okay, let's try it. Let's do it. The sort of spaghetti on the wall approach where it's like, all right, you know, just to stay experimental but then to, over time and practice, learn when to kind of cut bait if something isn't working, which is actually really, really hard to know, like, how far to follow a new idea, like, down the rabbit hole. Oh, it's such a, it's so hard. It's a total mystery. When to know to pick a lane or when to know to, no matter how long you've worked on something, that it's just not going anywhere, you know, or when, or when to say, no, no, just keep digging in. You don't abandon ship, like, figure this out, you know, that's very, very unclear. I have to ask about Higher and Higher. How did the song come together? And then David, how did you decide to kind of make it kind of an anchor narratively in the sequel series? Craig, epic work on Higher and Higher. Obviously. Thanks. I've got, <laughs> Thank you. I've got my, um, got my special seven inch right here. Awesome. Awesome. I don't remember precisely how it came about with me and Teddy. That was a very collaborative, fun moment. I remember each other's faces, Teddy's and mine, while we were working on it. But I don't remember... <laughs> how we got there, but we were both very giddy and we were half like, oh my God, this is the best thing. <laughs> and like, oh my God, this is the stupidest thing. And usually that's a good sign. I remember singing the vocal and we were like, Teddy and I were really bouncing lyrics back and forth. And at a certain point I remember he said, and th this was how kind of cocky we were at the time and how huge we were all certain Wet Hot was going to be, right straight out the gate. Um, Teddy said, how do you feel that the best thing either of us will ever work on, higher and higher, is a joke and what you'll be known <laughs> for? <laughs> and, and we were both like, don't care. It's such a good high watermark. And then there are real songs that actually work in the fictional world, like I'm a Wolf, You're the Moon, that was on your album, Craig, and, and fit so beautifully into the counselor sing-along. Right. Well, that's one of those songs that was like, I originally started writing it for a sitcom, and it didn't fit in the sitcom, thank God, and then finished it for Wet Hot, where it was just such a nice moment of heart. And it was that thing of just finding the right context for it. And then, you know, I couldn't let go of it. So I did it for my record too. It's amazing. And, and like, um, back to higher and higher, like the song being kind of the best, worst thing. I think the montage from the movie is, you know, maybe one of the best montages in cinematic it, like, history. It genuinely gives you the yeah. thing, even though you're completely aware that it is utterly <laughs> absurd. <laughs> I mean, to answer your question about, like, you know, when we went to go make a prequel right. to the movie, 
with everything, you know, we decided to take this hour and a half movie and treat it like this Rosetta Stone and, and retcon everything about it as if, you know, there was a new invented backstory to every random, you know, right. m- moment. Like you had the, the Lucas movie. approach to, um, to Wet Hot. You had all the exactly. backstories written. And you that, had was, that was the fun <laughs> of doing prequel and saying like, oh, this girl in a bikini is actually a, a reporter, who, you know. Right, and, right, right. And, you know. With a and whole so with, other with, spinoff story. Right. And so then, then we created this whole backstory about higher and higher that, you know, he was tinkering with it and then figured it out. And it's when he finally learned how to figured out what the song was, it saved the whole camp. It saved, because it saved, yeah, yeah. It saved, yeah, it saved friendship. Fr- friendship. Yeah, it saved friendship. Right, right, right. Friendship. Yeah. Right, right. You saved friendship with this song. <laughs> Amazing. All right, Craig, Yellow Jackets, the music there with Anna Warnker. Mm-hmm. Um, just incredible and helps tell the story in such an emotionally impactful and powerful way. Can you tell me a little bit about that project and what it's mean to you as an artist and kind of watching how the music and the stories have resonated with viewers has kind of affected you? Sure. Yellow Jackets is huge to me. And I think I speak for Anna as well. Professionally, commercially, whatever becomes the most popular thing that you did is the only thing that people think of you for. And so you get hired for that thing. And so for a lot of years, I was only getting calls for comedies, which is great. I love doing comedy, especially darker, like more surreal sort of adult comedy. But it started sort of feeling a little bit like a ghetto to me, especially, you know, if you're familiar with Shudder to Think, my sort of default mode tends to be darker and weirder. And so for that reason alone, that I was able to get a crack at a show that sort of combined horror and drama, to get to do that and then have it be a hit was unbelievable. It almost never aligns like that. You know, you'll get one, you get like the creative thing, but nobody sees it. But this, it's like all the stars really aligned on it. And credit to the producers who continually pushed Anna and I further out. They wanted it weirder, darker, more sophisticated, more disorienting. And already going into it, that was what I wanted to do. It also connects again back to Teddy Shapiro, who did the pilot on it, but wasn't available to do the series. And so through a mutual friend who was a producer, I got the call on it, which was great because Teddy had written some gorgeous stuff for the pilot that Anna and I were then able to take and just like splatter against the wall because the show gets so bloody and wild and roller coaster-y that again, to get to collaborate with my friends, Anna, Teddy, even though we weren't working together, it was, you know, very much via remote. And then to sort of go back to the original thing that I most like to do, which is to scare myself and make myself laugh, you know? And so I would know when we were hitting it because I would be legitimately unsettled and also like have this grin on my face, be like, oh my God, this is so Like with Higher and Higher and like what we were saying, where you feel kind of like you're getting away with something or pulling a trick on the audience and then everybody loves it. I mean, come on. How often does that happen? So it's a treat. All right, let's get into a rapid fire slash gotcha round. Okay, Craig, favorite David Wayne movie moment? Paul in the mirror in Wanderlust is definitely up there. 
David, favorite song or soundtrack work from Craig? I thought you were going to ask my favorite moment in a Craig Wedren song. That works. It might be that one turn around in Hit Liquor when it's like, it's fun, sound, sound. That's one of my favorite okay. moments. I don't yeah, know if it comes to mind anyway. <laughs> Craig, finish this sentence. David is a hamburger. David finished the sentence. Craig is a chili burger. Craig, what's the uh, what's the best word that describes David? Friend. David, best word that describes Craig? Chili burger. <laughs> David, first word that comes to mind, shudder to think. Rock. Craig, first word that comes to mind, wet hot American summer. Play. Craig, guitar or piano? Oh, piano. Whoa, that surprised me. That surprised That's just us because I'm working on I'm I'm working on a piano record right now, so I think it's like really in the fore for me right now. Awesome, David. TV or film? Film. Craig, more Shutter to Think records in the future? I don't know. I always felt like we hit pause but not stop. But you know we're pretty scattered, and we would really need to be in the same place. David, will there be more Wet Hot? Unlikely. We did a, quite an ending at the end of the Ten Years Later show, and I think that was. That was it. Amazing. Craig, David, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a joy to, to hang and chat with you both. Thanks, Rob. That was great. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you dig what we're doing here on this independent podcast. Rate the show. Share it with friends, colleagues, and creatives in your life. Visit makingwayspodcast.com to learn about our guests, see the exclusive artwork I illustrated that goes along with this episode, and support what we're doing so we can continue to bring you amazing new episodes at the crossroads where art and music meet. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineering is by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can find us on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project that brings together music and art, I'd love to work together. Hit me up at rob at makingways.co. And check out more of my artwork at robgoodmanart.com. Be well and see you soon. Thanks so much again for listening to Making Ways, The Art of Music.